Sunday with Miriam on RTE Radio 1, sponsored by Supervalue Insurance. Offering sound advice for your car, home and travel insurance needs. But first this morning, in July 2022, former Garda Paul Moody was convicted of coercive control and he was sentenced to three years and three months in prison. His victim gave a powerful victim impact statement in court, but she remained anonymous. Now she's given up her anonymity to tell her side of the story. Nicola will feature in a powerful documentary in RT1 television on Monday, the 11th of December, called Taking Back Control. And she joins me now in studio. Nicola, thank you so much for coming in. And I just want to say to parents listening that some of what we're going to speak about may not be suitable for younger listeners. So you just might want to listen back later instead of live. I'm delighted you're here, Nicola. First of all, tell me a little about yourself, about your family, where you grew up. So I'm from a family of 10, a crazy, busy house. So six girls and four boys. Um, God love all the brothers. Um, <laughs> but we all get on fantastic. We're very close. Uh, so thank God we're very lucky. And we all live in Ireland except one. That's wonderful. And your mum is Helen Harty, which is great. Uh, my mum is alive and my dad. They're both fit and healthy. They love life. They love all the grandkids, you know. It's a crazy house when we're all together, put it that way. There's 27 grandkids. Wow. You'll never be lonely. Now, listen, tell me when you first met Paul Moody. You met online, didn't you? That's right, we did. Yeah, we met on a dating app, yeah. Tell me about that. I actually remember getting uh, the first message. I was in Castleknock and my phone beeping. And I looked and... He'd sent me a nice message from the off. Because when you're on the, uh, these apps, like it's the same thing most people would send you. It's like a job interview. But he had, uh, he was definitely had a lot of charm. We hit it off. The messages were going back and forward. And we were having a great laugh through the messages. Um, yeah, he was very charming, I'd say. And the early days then of your relationship, you got together. What were they like? What was he like? Well, I remember meeting him the first time face to face and I actually didn't know whether I fancied him or not because he didn't look like his profile picture. I thought he was a really nice guy. We hit it off. He was so charming and very, very funny. But I thought he looked a lot older than his profile picture. So I was just chatting, getting to know him. We just took it from there. I think some of your friends, and the one thing I noticed about this documentary, which is really powerful, is you've got such great friends. And from the get-go, though, he was almost trying to divide you from your friends by sending them text messages. Tell me about that. Well, I think he was so eager to meet all my family and friends. I probably wasn't aware at the time. He was asking everybody for their phone numbers. So he, he just seemed like a really friendly guy. And which everybody did. Everybody thought, wow, like, this is it. The two of us were crazy about each other. I think sometimes you feel like it's too good to be true. But yet in that case, actually it wasn't. You know, I do believe in love, like most women, I think. Yeah. And we all want to believe it's out there. Did your friends initially try to warn you? Not at the start, no. I think they were just really happy for me. I remember once my friend, after I think we were suspicious then, I think she said I didn't like that. When I found you, it was like a three-way conversation. 
he always wanted to be involved. Mm-hmm. So she was suspicious of that, but I wasn't because he had done that with his own friends when I was in the car and he'd want me to join in too. But my friend said she thought that was a bit suspicious, yeah. Now, before you met him, you'd had cancer, hadn't you? Tell me about that and you'd had treatment. That's right, yeah. I had breast cancer and obviously the cancer had spread to different parts of my body. So... Yeah, it was obviously at the time I definitely thought that was the worst time of my life. I didn't think it could ever get any worse. So listen, when you hear about coercive control, you start off by saying he seemed the one. You were mad about him. You loved him. Isn't that right? That's right. I did love him. Yeah. So when did the abuse start and how did it begin? The way I would explain it is... Slowly but surely. At the start, he was Prince Charming. The perfect guy. The perfect guy for me. Funny, kind, helpful. He sold me the fairy tale. And I remember thinking, am I glad I didn't settle for any of the other guys that came into my life before this? Because this is, this is the type of love I've been waiting on. But unfortunately, that wasn't the case. I started off on a very small thing. I seen a little bit of jealousy. I think I actually was so confused in the argument. I think my head was spinning. I didn't even know to how quick somebody, you're so in love and you're so happy. And I just remember the very first disagreement. And it was nearly like he was calling me out on something. But my head was spinning because I was actually confused. I didn't even know I had done something wrong. And yeah, he made me feel so bad. I remember him telling me that I was acting like his ex-girlfriend and that he would never tolerate this again in his life and that he couldn't be with somebody if they acted like her. So my head was spinning. I actually didn't even know what he was talking about or what have I done wrong. But I just always remember that first time being so confused. And I thought I hurt his feelings so bad. But like just for people listening, he ended up sending you I think in the end, about 30,000 text messages, sometimes 600 a day. That's right, yeah. Incredibly abusive. And in the documentary, I hear him, everyone will hear him screaming at abuse at you, like words we couldn't use this morning, but F words, C words, P words. I mean, when did it get that bad? And how long did you put up with that for? I think you go into shock. I had never experienced anything like this in my whole life. But I definitely think it was when I had got diagnosed with cancer again after I had been pregnant for five months. It was horrendous decisions I had to make and I was so afraid for me and the baby at this stage. So I think after I had the baby, the real Pa Moody came out. It was bad enough before... But little did I know what was to come. I mean, when you were pregnant and when you were in the hospital, this horrific footage of him screaming at you in the maternity ward. Well, that was actually mild, to be honest, because when Paul was actually recording me, in his head, he actually believed I was wrong. So for what he was doing before, even that footage and the things he was saying to me, it was unbearable to what I thought was going to be the best experience of my life. 
That's the day Paul broke me. I was never, ever the same woman leaving the hospital. With your baby boy? With my baby boy. In what way, in that moment, do you feel he broke you? I feel, slowly but surely, he was trying to break me down. And even though I was sick, I am a very strong person. Cancer didn't break me. Paul Moody was trying to break me. But what I was is that I think I looked forward to this beautiful fairy tale. What most women, I watched my friends have when I went to visit them in hospital. And after being in sick, I was in bed for like months on end, trying to keep the cancer at bay and trying to survive for me and the baby. All I wanted to do was meet my baby. I never found out whether it was a boy or a girl because I just wanted a surprise, like what my mum did and all of us. And it kept me going. My sister always explained it like magic when you had a baby. Mm-hmm. She said it's like this magic dust comes over you. And I wanted that, especially after being told when I was sick that I would never get the opportunity. And I always was so sad thinking I never got the best days of my life. I never had got married and I never had a baby. And of course, he was the father of the baby. But in that hospital, when you were giving birth, he was shouting at you that he hoped you'd bleed out and bleed to death. That's why, yeah. I think that's the saddest thing. Because I didn't know how worried probably my family was thinking, would I survive the birth? I'm very strong and determined. And I believed in my heart and soul I would. But maybe the doctors didn't because the team around me was unbelievable. The doctors treated me so well. And they gave me the best team in the hospital. I can never, ever forget the midwives and the doctors were just phenomenal. Where, you know, when you look so forward to something, you just don't believe that somebody could take such a a precious moment away from you. Because I even remember driving in, I felt like I was so excited. I felt I was going on holidays. I had my high heels on, my suitcase. Where was I living? It was my first baby. But that's who I am as a person. And... I thought no one's going to ruin this moment for me. But unfortunately he did. Because obviously when you were pregnant, your cancer came back, which is why they were all minding you so well. So what was his plan? I mean, do you think he wanted you to die? I mean, what what was going on in his mind? Have you ever tried to work that out? Was it control, clearly? Was it jealousy? Had he grown to hate you? What What was he thinking? I would say a bit of everything, but at the time, I don't believe he hated me at all. I think in his head, he truly loved me. And I think if Paul didn't get his own way, that's when there was a problem. And until he got his own way, he will make your life hell until you change your decision. So that's what his plan was and goal in the hospital. He also wrecked up and destroyed your apartment, didn't he? That's right. That was the first time I'd seen his behaviour or what he was capable of. It was like on the movies when you see 
the bad cops go in and destroy a property. It's the only way I could explain it. I had no words to say to him after that because there was nothing left to say. But after that incident, he had went and got help, different types of help. I felt he was suffering even from what he had done, his actions. So after time, maybe a little piece of me felt a little bit sorry for him. He did make a mistake, like us all, none of us is perfect. He seemed so genuinely sorry and this was so out of his character. So I think after me being sick also and somebody giving me no hope, maybe my heart felt for him to give somebody a chance or give somebody else a little bit of hope. So maybe that's why I feel that's why. If I, maybe if I was never sick, I would never be in this situation. But I'm sure another girl would be. And maybe she wouldn't be strong enough to do what I've done. Because I would have likened somebody else who had met him and who he had previously done these things to come forward. And this, I would never be in this situation. So I feel that if I don't come forward, how could I sleep at night? Along the way, you tried to get help, hadn't you? At different times when it just became too much, the abuse, the hundreds and hundreds of abusive messages every day. You did try to get help, didn't you, from Garth and different agencies? So you did try to leave him and get away from him? I tried. To be honest, it was even worse when I left him. The different things, the lengths that Paul would go to when I left, it was horrendous. And being so sick, my goal was to stay alive. As everybody knows, if you've cancer, like stress will spread cancer. And I believe Paul knew that too. So at times I felt I had to choose which is best for me to survive. I had to choose which is my best chance of surviving and staying alive for my son. And in every decision, that's what I done. Because I know if anything had happened to me, this person would be raising my son. And for all that I had gone through, being sick, risking my life, there was no way I was going to recreate another version of Paul, my beautiful son. I remember a doctor saying to me, if you have a boy, he's definitely going to be an absolute gentleman. And that's where I'm going to make sure I leave on this earth. A true gentleman. And I know he's a beautiful, healthy little five-year-old boy. So the early conversations with, you know, agencies, Garthy, didn't work out for you. In the end, he almost destroyed himself because he reported someone else, isn't this correct, for an alleged misdemeanour. And he handed his phone in to the Gardaí, his colleagues, as evidence. And then the Gardaí found all these texts and videos and photos. And they rang you one day and said, we know what he's doing to you. Tell me about that moment. To be honest, I actually thought they were calling me about this ongoing case. I remember it was in COVID. But I remember the first time the guards rang me, I remember asking them, where will all this end? In other words, will someone have to die? But yeah, I remember meeting them and, and they said, we know what he's doing to you. 
and he said, would you like our help? I knew I always believed in God. My faith is what kept me alive. And that's something Paul didn't like. And I always prayed and believed. And my prayers were answered. Do you remember that moment? Was it a female Garda who phoned you? I didn't even have to open my mouth. I didn't even have to tell anybody. They seen it off themselves and the evidence. In his phone? In his own phone. And the fact that somebody actually believed me. And because he was a guard, he had all the power and he used it to blackmail me in every way he could. To get his own way. But the arrogance, stupidity actually of him to hand that phone in. He thought he'd never be caught. His ego. At the end of the day, he was a guard of Shia He had all the power. So, of course, he, he never believed ever. I don't believe that he would ever be caught. Or that there would be consequences. Like he was trying to take my baby off me before I'd even left the maternity hospital. And which my family believed he was going to do this. Because I was sick. That gave him so much power. I went to court. He brought me to court. He'd sent me the papers before I even left the hospital. He wanted my baby taken off me because I was sick. How did that moment feel in court when he did go to prison? He got three years, three months. Did that make you feel safe? Did it make you feel like you could begin again? How did that make you feel? The whole thing was horrendous for me. There was no winners in this. All I wanted was to meet somebody, fall in love and have a little family. That's all I wanted. But what I got was a monster trying to destroy my life. And all my family and friends. If they didn't leave my life. But when the judge asked me what did I want? I said all I want is peace. So to me, it was horrendous to have to go to court for somebody you love. Like, I loved that man. He was my child's father. At one stage, he, I really cared about him. And I think for me, even if it was a stranger, I would find this difficult to do. Because this is not the type of person I am. So I didn't want to be at the sentencing. Because I didn't... I don't get any satisfaction out of this. I just wanted this to stop. So for me, it felt like a debt when I come home from that court case. I felt like somebody died. That's what it felt like for me. For me to have to go through something like this. All I want to do is be safe in my own home. Do you feel safe now? For now I do, yeah. I live every day with my beautiful boy and I can honestly say it was all worth it. Because it was so hard at the time when I had to do all this. But now I get a happy ever after. I get to live a beautiful life with my gorgeous boy. I don't take that for granted. My health, the life I could have lived forever until the day I died. I can never thank the team of guards. They didn't just get me from an abusive relationship. They saved my life. No thank you will ever be enough for what the team of guards have done for me. I don't think I'll ever be able to thank them enough. But I'm excited. I am so excited for the next chapter of my life. And I think after 
going through all these different experiences, like, watch this space. I'm excited. And I know you went to court, so he's no longer guardian of your boy. So he's, you know, out of his life. But are you worried at all about when he gets out? Well, I've done a lot of work on myself. And I actually don't really think about him no more. Even doing this documentary, I didn't need to do this. I want this chapter to be closed in my life too. But I feel it would be unfair of me knowing that there's so many people living in these circumstances. So, yeah, this has caused me stress. This is unnecessary stress and having to talk about and relive all this, these bad experiences that I've had to go through. But if I can turn this negative into a positive, because I was never this type of girl to tolerate this behaviour. So it's okay for women out there or a man that's dealing with this because at the end of the day, there is no shame on us because we didn't do anything wrong. And we have to stop living this way because we are just protecting these bullies. So we all want to live the fairy tale. But I can promise you something. Fairy tales do exist. They might not look like the picture postcard but I'm living the fairy tale right now, every day, singing while I'm making my boys breakfast, dancing around the kitchen. The little things in life is the big things to me. Bringing my boy on the first day of school, doing his homework the other day. Mm-hmm. I cherish them things and I will continue to because I know I'm so lucky to be here. And there's so many victims that have not survived domestic violence or cancer. I feel like there's a reason why I'm still alive and I feel I have to give back. And that's the only way I can. And you're so courageous, actually, and I know the reason you're doing the documentary. But if someone's listening this morning who is experiencing maybe not the level of coercive control you had, but still coercive control, what would you say to them? If your gut is telling you This is wrong. Listen to it. Because that's your body telling you. You will be believed. I promise you this. Take the first step. That's all you need to do. Take the first step. And it'll be so worth it. If I can do this, I know anybody out there can do it. Nicola, you are an extraordinary person. It's been a privilege to talk to you. The documentary Taking Back Control, made by Trevor Burney, is on RT1 television on Monday the 11th of December at 9.35. People should watch it. It's so powerful. And I'm just conscious, Nicola, if anyone is affected by our conversation this morning, they can find details of helplines on rt.ie forward slash helplines. Nicola, thanks so much for telling to me this morning. Mind yourself. Thank you so much.